whenever you're dealing with high performance, you're always tiptoeing on the line of I'm at my absolute best or I, I can get injured. Like that's literally what a high performance athlete is always dealing with. Excellence is about standing and excellence is a requirement for your dream come true. Welcome to Unfiltered Athletes. I'm your host, Leo. In this podcast, we go behind the scenes with world-class athletes to reveal the untold stories of their journeys. From grueling training sessions to mental strategies to achieve greatness, get ready for a raw, unfiltered look at the world of sports. In this episode, Felicia George joins me at Le Club Café Cycliste for a wonderful discussion exploring her inspiring double career. First of all, I'd like to give a warm thank you to Le Club, offering me a space to welcome athletes and have discussions around a warm Americano or a refreshing cold brew. Felicia is an incredibly friendly and well-spoken person with a radiant, contagious smile, someone everybody would like to be able to call a friend. She's one of the few athletes that competed in both the Summer and the Winter Olympics. On top of that, Felicia is a highly curious individual, exploring art and creation through photography, videography, dancing, and graphic design. And his journey started with a passion for competition. So in elementary school, we used to have play day. And um, used to go out on the grass. I used to set out these cones. And I just remember going out there and winning all the races, beating. I was the fastest kid in elementary school. I always say that. I used to beat the boys on a lot of the teams as like well, too. five, six years old or something? Um, No, we were like. Elementary school? Yeah, oh, elementary. Seven, eight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe a little bit older than that. Um, and it was super cool because if you won the races, you got to go. This was like a big deal for me back then. You got to go to the university and raced other elementary schools okay. and i was like super excited like i got chosen to do that and so uh yeah just went out there won a bunch of races i have a photo of me like i was running a 200 okay. and i was like coming off of the turn and like a bunch of people were still like you know in the middle of the turn so um and after that everybody was like oh you should get a coach you should you know you should start training Um, so that was kind of my first memory of like okay. running, falling in love with it. But that was raw talent. Yeah. Literally, <laughs> if you beat those people yeah. at seven, eight. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And when did that become, when did talent uh, become, become no, not enough? And when did you have to put the work in? Right. So element, leaving elementary school, going into grade nine, thinking I'm the most amazing thing <laughs> in the world. Um, and when I started running in high school, I started getting beat. And then we in Ontario, we have something called OFSA. And What I, so it's like our uh, provincial championships. Okay. It's like a big deal. It's like the Olympics of um, <laughs> Ontario. <laughs> Deep down Ontario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still talk about my OFSA medals. Um, <laughs> but, um, and I didn't make OFSA. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't like make this, you know, big deal thing. And so that summer I was driving past a university and I told my dad like, hey, can we stop in and see if we can get me a coach? And then I joined a track club that summer. And then grade 10 was my first year really training and like trying to make something okay. about it. Yeah. Was your family or do you have close friend into track and field, into athlete sport? Or you were, it was just... I'm the only athlete in the family. Okay. So I have a twin brother. I have like lots of older sisters and like I'm the only athlete. My dad claims he used to run back in the day, but he only started saying he ran after in high school. I started running. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So, um, well, I gave the genes at least. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without that, you I'll wouldn't have. <laughs> true, true. Um, cool. So, when did that become serious for you? Uh, it seems like it, it was fun. Mm -hmm. You probably worked super competitive very mm -hmm. early on. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you get to that offsa or, mm -hmm. or high school type of stuff, mm -hmm. um, is that when you realize that you could make it more than just running for fun? Or um, did, was it a longer process? It was a longer process. I kind of always considered myself a more of like a late bloomer. So I was running decent in high school track, but club track, I was getting destroyed. <laughs> so I find that like track and field for me initially was really more of like a social time. <laughs> so I loved being at the track and training with my training partners and having fun. So it really wasn't until I got a big injury in high school. I got three stress fractures in my back and I had to sit out a year. That's what that was like, guess grade 11. And then I was like, oh man, like I really miss this and I really want to do this. And initially one of my goals was to get a full scholarship to go away to the university and so i was like okay 
that my like last year of high school was like buckle down get serious and so that was kind of the first year i was like i really really want to pursue this and and make this and like get a scholarship um and then i ended up doing that and then that kind of like i think cemented the like passion so mm -hmm. my university i feel like university for me was really when i was like really focused really disciplined super committed and i like really shifted into that athlete mindset and i always say like the person who went into university and the and the woman that left are like two totally different people um so yeah. okay and, and so what sort of student were you because when sport becomes so important and you yeah. probably have that's that wheel spinning in your brain of what you want to do and all that it's probably hard to keep a huge focus as well on, on, on studying. So yeah, what uh, student were you? Front row or, or back row? Front row. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my dad was a teacher. Okay. So like he always stressed. You didn't like, have a choice. Huh? You didn't have a I choice. I didn't have a choice. Yeah. Like education was always like a really big deal. Um, I wanted to go to med school at the time. So it was also like, I didn't have a choice. I had to, I had to get good grades. Yeah. Um, so I specifically chose the university. I went to a university of Connecticut um, because I wanted a good balance between academics and athletics. So I was the kid that was like studying on the bus going to track meets <laughs> and like in between like, you know, classes studying. And so I, I graduated with a 3.9 GPA. I studied physiology. 3.9? Yeah. Jeez. I studied physiology and neurobiology. Um, yeah. Like I would freak out if I was getting like, I got one B in university and I like That's amazing. cried. <laughs> oh, wow. So, so uh, did, did you pursue after uh, after graduating or did you put that on pause when when the career was uh, was growing yeah so i mean that was kind of like a big turning point for me as well where it was like I, gra i was graduating i was not running professional elite times yet so it was kind of, and i was all prepared to go to med school so i wrote my mcats i did everything i had everything in my pocket and it was kind of like yeah but i really had this dream of going to the olympics so it was kind of like do you pursue something that you're kind of not really sure if it's going to happen mm -hmm. or do i go to med school And I chose to go to the to try to go to the Olympics, and um, so yeah. And who really participated in that uh, pretty big decision? Because your dad was a teacher. You said mm -hmm. you were excellent at school, and mm -hmm. you know it's it's an easy path in a way. Right. And I felt the same way, and I've ended with like two masters that I don't use today. But it was just the right. easy <laughs> way to go in because it's safe. Your right. family says, you know, just do that. And after mm -hmm. that, you know, do this stuff, and then after that, you'll do whatever you want. Right. But you'll be you'll be safe. So yeah, how. How easy or difficult of a decision was it to decide to push the mm -hmm. the um, the decision to go fully sport, mm -hmm. fully track and field when you had that easy path for you know a good career and good money in a mm -hmm. way? Um, family was definitely pushing the, towards studies. The, yeah, the yeah. studies, which is you know normal. Um, my university coach, I think, was always someone who really believed in me, and so he was encouraging me to continue to, to pursue my athletics. Even, like, when he recruited me, like, he just saw potential. Like, I wasn't doing anything super special. And so I think he just continued to see that, like, you still have more. You still have more. Um, but honestly, I feel like a big part of it was just, like, me. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think especially in a sport like track, um, you just have to have this, like, fire inside of you that you have to feel. A lot of it has to be internally motivated to say, like, I can do this and I want to, like, push forward with it because um, it's, like, challenging to the amount of training that you have to do the amount of time you have to dedicate to it so and, and probably the ups are much higher or the highs are much higher than it would be when you follow a doctor's or yeah. a medical school career yeah the lows are probably so much lower yeah and also the financial aspect of it it's a tough decision because unless you're in the top three in the world for many mm -hmm. years you won't make a living out of it and it, even more you won't you'll know, save money for later right um so did, did that also play in the decision it seems like i'm sorry because you mm -hmm. were about to answer but mm -hmm. on that podcast the people that i've interviewed are never the like top hockey players who make mm -hmm. a ton of money and all that it's people that we see on tv mm -hmm. win medals or go to the olympics but the grit the determination the motivation the passion that you need to have in order to keep pushing for 10 plus years yeah that's just yeah insane <laughs> yeah. so uh, yeah how do you how do you keep that fuel going yeah fire, fire going sorry <laughs> um i think just like you said like the highs are really high and you just keep chasing the highs um like yeah some of my best moments in life are from like a win and not even a win sometimes it's at practice where it's you're like oh my gosh like it's not happening and then something finally clicks and you just feel it and you're like oh that's amazing and i've had like transcendent like almost like 
outer body experiences yeah. when I'm running, when you finally start to get to that moment where it's like super effortless. And so I think we're just really tapping into like and appreciating what that feels like and to work really hard and to see like the fruits of your labor. Um, I think I guess I'm more like of a passion based person as opposed to like financially based or that type of thing. Um, I think I want to look back on my life and feel like I like went for something yeah. and it felt super meaningful to me. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I always had great friends on the track. You got to travel all over the world. So I feel like I got a lot in a lot of different kinds of ways. Um, yeah. Um, what is the high highest moment of your yeah. career so far? Because your career is not over. <laughs> yeah. We'll get to it later. Yeah. Uh, and, and the lowest point. Ooh. Highest moment. That's challenging. Um, I'm going to say my first Olympic final. Mm -hmm. 2012? 2012. And I'm going to say that because like maybe two years before that, it was like people were just saying I wasn't even going to make a team. <laughs> right. And so like you had this like childhood dream. And I just remember standing at the line and just being like, Like, this is it. Like, I'm here. I did it. Like, so, it, and it's interesting because it wasn't even the, like, race. It was the, like, that moment getting before, race, like, yeah. getting there. And you're standing there and, you know, standing amongst the best in the world and really understanding that I belonged there. So I think that's, like, a, just a really surreal feeling because at one point I was looking at these people and to be, like, I was doubted. People told me I, <laughs> I wouldn't make this team. And... I did it, that type of thing. Um, I would say, yeah, that was a pretty huge moment for me. And it's sim I would, the other moment I would say was winning the medal in bobsleigh. And it's a similar kind of thing. It wasn't even like at the medal ceremony or anything. It was like getting out of the sled and just that feeling of like, oh man, I did it. Like, yeah, taking it in. Right, yeah. Like I got out of the sled and I was crying because I, I think I'm very like process oriented. And so... I really appreciate when you have to like work super, super hard towards something and it's, you know, people think, well, maybe they don't think, but it's like, there's so many moments in that where you're just like, I'm not going to make it. It's not going to happen. You doubt yourself so much through the process and then to like actually make it happen, I think is like a super cool thing. So I know sometimes people see, you know, people at the pinnacle of whatever they're trying to do and you feel like, oh, those people are like superhuman or they're, but it's we all have those fears we all have those doubts and it's just like the willingness to like push and to keep and like again like i said that fire there's i don't know i'll feel doubt and feel fire and you just got to choose the fire yeah. <laughs> you know yeah and it's it's the the common uh 10 year overnight success you know yes. when people watch the olympics it's like oh yeah well that person is you were what 20 ish right uh, that first uh final the right. 100 meters uh hurdles um because people watch the olympics and they see that it lasts 12 second ish yes and they're like oh yeah well it's just she's just talented right but no what they don't see is the years of work yeah. and uh, hours and days and weeks and months spent yeah. you know on the track whether it's cold or hot outside mm -hmm. um so yeah it's something also that's why i love this doing this so much the podcast is getting to understand you know like you said you started and then you were the best for a year mm -hmm. and then you were not the best anymore yeah. so and then it started at eight until you were 20 whatever and, mm -hmm. and got to the finals so mm -hmm. um very interesting and the lowest moment then oh yeah lowest moment <laughs> don't don't shy away from <laughs> yeah, that yeah yeah I mean, i'm not afraid don't worry <laughs> um there's a lot of lows there's a lot of lows um, it can be a podium of lows if yeah you um just because it's a good contrast so in 2012 i made my first final and I, that I would say was the high, one of my high moments and in 2013 the next the year right after that and I'm like confidence is through the roof like I'm like nobody can touch me right now I'm running amazing through my like um mm -hmm. preparing for indoor season and I just had this day at, uh, in practice and I'm like flying it's probably the fastest I've ever run in my life um and you know my coach is like okay let's get one more rep in we go and do the last rep and I tore my hamstring in two places um and that was like that was my season that was it so it was like heartbreaking to be like i just had this super high mo moment where i literally thought my career was about to take off mm -hmm. and then the year right after that i didn't get to compete a full year at off. all yeah. yeah and so 
I ended up having to do rehab for like eight months. And it was just hard because you're just like, wow, like I was literally just on top of the world. And now I'm struggling to do like basic things. And I felt like I was starting from like ground zero in a lot of ways. My confidence just got like, like from like, you know, at the very top, just like smushed all the way down. Yeah. Um, which I thought it was like a good learning lesson. Like I now I'm always like, don't get too high, don't get too low. Because they, they don't, yeah. they neither one lasts super long. Um, but it's easy to like get super high on yourself and think you're, you know, doing the best. It, yeah. And then and it's also in the same way to get super when you're in the lows to get really down on yourself. And so I think it was a, the fact that those two things happen like back to back was like a really big lesson for me in a lot of ways. Is, is that a coincidence? The fact that you were at the top and then you hurt yourself, right. injure yourself right after? Or do you think you kind of cross the overconfidence threshold of, you know, losing the, the focus because right. you were on a high and, you know, mm -hmm. maybe an mm -hmm. out of body experience again, but in a maybe too high? I think whenever you're dealing with high performance, you're always tiptoeing on a line of I'm at my absolute best or I, I can get injured. Like that's literally what a high performance athlete is always like dealing with. And mm -hmm. the greats stay on the stay just on that tip. You know what I mean? Because really what you're always trying to do is push, push your body to find more and find more and find more. But it's just like you can't do it too quickly. Or sometimes it's like, you know, again, like the mind is ready. The confidence is there. But maybe the body isn't quite ready to like push into those places. So I think I was literally just at my like threshold at that moment probably should have like not done that last rep type of thing um that was also another learning lesson for me in terms of like being more in tune with my body and listening to my body as opposed to just doing what's prescribed for the day um because i was just like a like a meathead in a kind of way it was like i'll i'll do the most work whatever needs to happen and whatever coach says and at some point when you're at that level you have to start saying like mm -hmm. okay what's my body saying to me here today and like Okay, maybe we said we were going to do six, but I just blazed four. We're going to stop at four yeah. type of thing. Like, and I had, again, you, you have to learn those things. It, it very much look, looks like a burnout for people working, but mm -hmm. more mm -hmm. like in front of a computer and mm -hmm. all that. It's like you always push. You think it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. But until you actually live it and learn from it, it's hard to know where the boundary is. Right. And if you're a high-performance athlete or an entrepreneur or whatever you always try to push the, the limit and mm -hmm. at some point you just cross it and it's mm -hmm. it's a learning that hurts and you know can make you lose a, a year but whatever you learn in that small fraction of well, a second or a day when you you get into a burnout it's you know after that what your limit is and people that went through a burnout say that you know, they are better than 100%. they were before because they know they kind of put themselves and they know what they shouldn't cross mm -hmm. so in a sense you lost a year but you probably gained a lot in uh, yeah. in your ability to understand well, your body your mind and how everything blends yeah. together i think i got became way more in tune with my body my self-awareness became a lot better i started advocating for myself a lot more like instead of just being like oh whatever your coach says goes um Yeah, you just I, I I never try and look at things as a low because I there always is a, surf, a silver lining to finding something. It's challenging in the times like let's not yeah. pretend like it's not. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't like celebrating when that yeah. was happening. Um, but on that same win, like when I made Rio, I, it was like that much more like sweet for me. And then to make the Olympic final again was kind of like okay, like you're back, you're good, like it's fine type of thing. There's so no wisdom. Yeah, yeah, and I like maybe like more of an appreciation for like yeah. for it in that sense. Um, so, yeah, yeah. And, and in those uh, eight years, you said of rehab, uh, eight, eight months, months. Sorry, yeah, I was <laughs> like my, eight years. My, my, <laughs> my English is leaving me now. Yeah. In those eight months, um, yeah, what what keeps you going? Because you're like you said, high performance, mm -hmm. and you probably have at the beginning to lie in bed and then kind of mm -hmm. restart from scratch. How do you keep going? Is that is there? Do you have a mental coach or just family friends how yeah how those how do those uh eight months go by um i actually had a super dope um i guess he was a physiotherapist he was based in montreal actually okay. um and i think we just built this really cool program that was very progressive so it was kind of almost like every month i had something new to yeah. look forward to mm -hmm. Um, so it was really for me about like setting really small goals for myself within that really small challenges for myself, 
learning how to celebrate really small wins um as opposed to like okay i just ran a pb or won a race it was like you know okay i'm holding this plank for however long or i can do this so like breaking down really small things um that i can find appreciative of and it's interesting because now as i look at how i am today i feel like i have such a great ability to just enjoy very small things in life and i'm i I'm just realizing this right now like i'm wondering if that time of you know going through that process helped me like find the ability to like really find these really small things that i can be happy about mm-hmm. you know um so yeah it was kind of that i i couldn't really watch races because they were was really challenging to not be competing the one thing i love about sport the most is competition i don't love training i'm like i'll do it but i was like i love competing so like that was i think the biggest heartbreak for me it was like i can't compete um so yeah it was just like trying to find really small wins um i had a great training group at that time so like just kind of being around them supporting them in a lot of ways um yeah interesting yeah it, i can only imagine well i'm more in the business world but like being eight months away from yeah. what you love doing in your case like say competing mm-hmm. more than just running mm-hmm. per se mm-hmm. uh, must be so challenging yeah um even i was so when i started bobsleigh um the first like four world cups i wasn't competing there either and that was really hard for me too because i'd never been in a situation where i was like actively training for something and not racing is it because you were on like the replacement yeah uh, i was like a spear at the time because okay. i'm trying to like work my way onto the team but like track and field is like you know there's you just find a lane and you can run yeah. but bobsleigh was like you the coaches had to see that you you know were ready or were um qualified enough and they had to cho- they were choosing who was going to be in each sled so okay. it was like that was kind of frustrating in a lot of ways because i was like i felt like i didn't have control over you know my ability to like show what i can do but it was literally just a situation as soon as i got the opportunity to race i was like okay you have this one opportunity you got to show out here today and make sure they see that like you're the best and that you have like you solidify your spot in every other race you know okay so if we go more on the technical side so usually in the intro i qualify the person (laughs) because we haven't clearly said in over 20 minutes what you what you're known for what type of athlete you are yeah so you are a track and field athlete yes Um, 100 meter hurdles uh yes 100 meter meter and sprints uh, i'm actually a national champion in 100 as well you what sorry i was national champion in well yeah so (laughs) i read that so that that gave me my question which was um you ran the 100 meter and the 100 meter hurdles yeah what made you did you choose to specialize in one because you saw more opportunity to be amongst the best or yeah, what kind of brought that decision to specialize in one specific, uh, okay. Category. Yeah. So, I mean, starting track and field, like in high school, I started as a sprinter one, two, and I wasn't seeing much success. Then I went to the like long hurdles, three hurdles, four hurdles, and I was doing well there, but it's like, that's a hard race. (laughs) And I was like, I don't love this. And then we're like, let's try the sprint hurdles. And then I was like, Oh, I love the way this feels. Cause you had to be so aggressive and just really constantly attacking the hurdles. And I was like, this is dope. I love this. So I stayed there. Um, and then in university, when you're like, I went to university of Connecticut and there it's just like when you're in the NCAA, they want to get every, every ounce out of you. Right. So I did mm-hmm. a lot of sprinting there. Um, cause you, you know, you're a conference, you're trying to get points. So I think that kind of gave me a little bit of the like itch to start sprinting again. And I was doing well. Um, And then when I went pro, I just was like, I started having like PBs in like the 60 meter indoors. We were just Mm -hmm. like throwing me and stuff just to work on my speed. And I was like beating some of the like sprinters, like the good sprinters. So I was like, oh shoot, like I think I could like, you know, challenge in this. So it was more so I definitely knew the hurdles was going to be like my baby. And that's where I was going to have the greatest like international success. But the sprinting was kind of like one to help with my hurdles because mm-hmm. um, the women's hurdle race is very much a sprint, you know. So the faster you are, the faster your hurdles are going to be. And so it was to help with that. And then and I, it just was exciting for me to like race the sprinters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of the most broadcasted mm-hmm. uh, categories, the 100 yeah. and maybe the 200. But I think, I mean, 100, 110 uh, hurdles and 100 uh, holes is still quite famous in yeah, a sense yeah uh, but technically what's the difference because on a 100 meter if 
Mr. or Mrs. Number One, and Number Two, one makes 52 steps and the other one 57 steps. It doesn't change anything. But the Earls, you don't have a choice. It's it's kind of a, a scripted right. race. You know, X steps, a jump, X steps, a jump. Yeah. So yeah, how how different is it? Uh, and yeah, how? Yeah, it's it is very different because I feel like in the sprints I could just let loose, like you're saying. Yeah. It's just like just go run. Your stride could be whatever you want. Um, so it, was, it felt like it was a very free kind of race for me. Um, but in the hurdles, it was more so it's a rhythm race. So yeah. you're very much trying to just get into your rhythm and you can't, especially I was a tall hurdler. And so great for getting over the hurdles, but also I had to be very mindful of being managing my stride length in between the hurdles. So you couldn't make just big steps. You, you had to, kind of right. everything is calculated and, right, and exactly. it's a drum beat. Yeah. yeah. So it's like in the hurdles, it was really about find your rhythm, stay in rhythm, um, and like keeping aggression moving forward towards the every hurdle, um, which I actually found helpful because it's almost like when you have hurdles in front of you, you have something to like focus on. Like this mm -hmm. is where I'm going towards. I've I've had times where I was sprinting, or it's almost like you start to have a lull because you just don't have that to like you know oh i'm yeah. going towards that it like it doesn't seem long 100 meter but it's still a right a yeah 11 second where yeah the next goal is reaching that that line in that case it's five step or right. four yeah three three, three, three in between <laughs> three okay. in between every hurdle <laughs> um so yeah they, they were very different races and then sometimes it was challenging if i was at a meet and i was doing them back to back to like switch my brain mm -hmm. you know what i mean so i was like I would usually have to be like, okay, I'll race both if there's enough time in between that I could kind of like chill for a little bit. Um, or I would run the hurdles first and then run the hundred. That was a decent mix for me. Sometimes when I had to run the hundred first and then go and run the hurdles, it was challenging because it was like, again, I was trying to open up too much and then it was like my okay. rhythm was off in the hurdles. Okay, so loose, go, going from hurdles to the sprint, was kind easier. of loosen up, it's easier right. versus yeah. being super loose and then having to kind of get into your yeah. uh, your choreography or... or yeah, whatever. yeah. Um, okay, so... <laughs> the first time I, I read about you, I was like, am I reading that right? So I was checking, like I said, your Olympic, um, Canadian Olympic website and I was like, 2012, 2016 and 2018, yeah. Pyeongchang was like, there's something wrong. So, so I restarted like, no, no, it's summer and then winter. So <laughs> you're one of the rare athletes mm. that um, participated in both the summer and the winter Olympic Games um, going into bobsled. Mm -hmm. uh, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, um, I was recruited to come out. Um, and actually the coach that recruited me, he does both track and bobsleigh, Stu McMillan. And so um, I think he just saw me in a track and was like, hey, I think, I think she could be good at this. And at first I told them no, because it was like right after 2016, I just was, I was an Olympic final again, um, Olympic finalist again. And so I was kind of like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> and I hate winter. <laughs> and, um, and then you can tease you with the competition or you can make it to the Olympics, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, I was kind of like, yeah, exactly. I was like, I'm already an Olympian. I'm good. But, um, I really like challenging myself and I was just like, wow, like this could be a really cool thing to try and it would be like a totally new thing and I, and I, I guess at that point I'd been pro for how many years eight years at that point so you know it was kind of like okay cool I've done two Olympics maybe this would be just a cool like break or something to try um so yeah I just convinced myself to like hop into it <laughs> All right, and so what are the common points I guess because mm. you're a sprinter you have a crazy power to Mm -hmm. go from zero to x mm -hmm. kilometers an hour um well explain bob's leg a bit because i did my research so there's a pilot yeah quote unquote pilot and then there's the person behind the that is the push well, athlete the what push athlete push athlete yeah. okay so well you know i think you, you qualified the the push the part the, yeah. the the power to to get things going so yeah what are the what why were you sorry uh, recruited uh, technically speaking yeah um it's interesting because I thought there was going to be more similarities. Okay. <laughs> and as I got out there, I was like, wait a minute. Um, cause the running is very different. So I think, you know, I mean, I had a very high performance mentality and obviously I've trained as a high performance athlete. So I definitely had that going for me, but the running was different in the sense that like, 
when you're on when you're sprinting you're trying to have as little ground contact as possible mm-hmm. um when you're pushing you are trying to spend as much time on the ground as possible and so technically it's similar to the beginning of a of a sprint which was never really my <laughs> forte funny <laughs> okay. enough um but so it's like you're trying, when you're pushing, you're trying to spend a lot of time on the ground. So I had to teach myself how to spend a lot of time on the ground when I went into bobsleigh. But the thing is, once it gets going, what I think my strength was, because um, you're running, the bobsleigh, the start is like downhill. So when it gets going, you have to really be able to spin yeah. behind really well. And a lot of, I think, other bobsleigh athletes didn't have the same speed and velocity that I had. Because the thing is, when you're pushing and it starts to go fast, you don't want to be pulling back. You don't want the sled to be going yeah. faster you than you. You must be faster than the... Exactly. So <laughs> the beginning was challenging for me at first because I just wasn't as strong and as powerful as they were. But my strength was when once it gets going, I can stick with the sled pretty easily. Um, so going into bobsleigh, we just um, really increased my power and my explosiveness and my strength and so all of my weight training became totally different very strength based i ended up gaining 20 pounds to do it yeah it was wild and um yeah so once i had the power and the strength that's when i really saw the switch i was and, and like started performing at a much higher level and and then coupled that with my speed kind of like made a nice little marriage interesting so Usually, I don't go too much into the technical, <laughs> but in that case, I'm very curious. So once you're, uh, you say the sled, the the bobsleigh or the the sled, how do you call the? Yeah, sled. The sled. Yeah. Um, once you're in it, so there's the pilot, well, you know, getting into the direction mm-hmm. and all that, but as the uh, push, push athlete, push athlete. <laughs> yeah. What's your role once you're, once you jumped into the sled? That's it. Oh, was, yeah. Now, don't you have to follow? I guess, well, yeah, your I body mean, and, and yeah. So like, I mean, before most races, we would, um walk the track learn the turns so i knew every track like going in so like i mean my once i'm in the sled it's like i'm very aware of the turns where we are but i'm the pilot is the one that is driving okay per se um but the thing is bobsleigh very similar to track in the sense of like one and loss on thousands of a second so the push can basically dictate what happens Mm -hmm at the bottom okay you know what i mean so if you if your push isn't what it should be there's no way that you could even make it up on the drive uh-huh. type of thing but you do you still need a great drive yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so it's the combination it's, of, of the course. two right um so you push from zero to what 30 ish about 30 meters yeah okay yeah so it's a, it's a huge effort of yes. five six seconds then yeah. the pilot uh well takes the takes the lead mm-hmm. um max speed 120 so Whistler is the fastest track that we went on. It was 155 kilometers per hour. Yeah. So I think the other ones I would say on average, maybe about like 120 and Whistler's like gets up there. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anywhere else that was quite as fast. Is there a speed thrill, speed adrenaline once you're in it or is just... Is there what? Is a speed thrill adrenaline or um, you're really just into your cocoon and... <laughs> yeah, you're just kind of in into it. Like, it feels kind of cool. Um, the first like few months I, I did not love it because yeah. every track was different. And so it was like just that like anxiety of like the newness and I'll, you're going so fast. A lot of the turns you feel like G forces pressing down on your body. Yeah, that so, was my next question. Right. Like, is it, does it feel like Formula One in a sense? Right. Because it's not as fast, but it's more rough mm-hmm, in a mm-hmm. sense. So probably the every shock and right. every uh, turn is, is kind of hard on the body. Yeah. So it, it's not even that. It's like on some of the turns that like maybe like really big you like literally feel like something pushing you down into the sled, Mm -hmm. you know? So your, your, your blood going down. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So like, those were like the, like, you're like, Oh, I don't love these moments. Cause you're just kind of like, and it's funny because they're like, don't fight it. So you have to like, kind of learn to like, let your body like (laughs) take the force. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had to get used to like wearing like a helmet, like never had to like my neck would was like destroyed my first like mm. month because it was just was like not used to holding mm-hmm. all those all that force and how many g's do you take max i think whistler again was because it was the fastest it was like up to four yeah that's just quite a lot already. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i'm pretty sure it's about that um so it took you 
less than two years to get to uh, the Olympic level. You started after uh, the Rio Olympics, um, so going from track to bobsled. So it took you a year and a half, let's say 18 to 24 months. Mm. Um, yeah, how exceptional is that? <laughs> how <laughs> to, was that? Uh, how exceptional is it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean... To start from, not from scratch mm -hmm. with, you know, an elite athlete level uh, mm. but still how yeah is that a rare thing to go from zero to olympian yeah. in 18 months yeah i mean i mean bobsleigh is like known as a sport that recruits other athletes okay but um i think to make the team in that shorter time was kind of different and to then win a medal as well um but yeah like i said there was a lot of moments i didn't seem like i was going to make the team mm. as well but um Yeah, I, it was interesting because I had a lot of people come up to me because it was, like I said, once I got the like power and strength behind me, initially everybody was kind of like, I don't know what this girl's doing here. <laughs> Why is she here? And then she's once... She's probably looking for another sport. <laughs> that, or she heard, yeah. a, she heard a noise and she's like, what's up? <laughs> so, um, yeah, once I had the like power and strength behind me, I, I started turning a lot of eyes and I put it like, oh, wow, she's pretty talented now. So, um, yeah, you, that's pretty cool. Did you... So I know you kept uh, running and mm -hmm. you kept um, competing on the track. Mm -hmm. uh, did you train both uh, sport at the same time or did you focus solely on, on bobsled for a while? Yeah, focus solely for a okay. bit, yeah. And so after that, you came back to... When the, when's the last time you uh, raced, you said, before Oh, yeah, COVID? so I did... I actually, <laughs> I was crazy for a little bit. I did that Winter Olympics in 2018 yeah. in February. Yeah. And then I was back on the track that summer, actually. Okay. I competed at NACAC championships that summer. Um, wasn't amazing because I was really heavy. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> that, was so really, that, yeah. that was the reason for my question. Yeah. Like, when you go back and forth, yeah. those two sports, and said you get 20 pounds. Yeah, um, the 20 pounds was, was for the Olympics specifically. So in that like specific lead up, we'd like, okay, like, let's bump it up. And like, yeah. but, then, but, but then I was super heavy yeah. coming back on the track. And I thought it would have been awesome for like my start and my power. And it was just like, I mean, I had a great 30 meters and that's all I had. <laughs> you, you were just I mean? carrying an extra <laughs> yeah. load. Like, oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's like, was like so heavy on the track. How did you, uh, yeah. How did you perform at those, uh, NACA games? Yeah. Um, I just did a relay. Okay. I just did the relay there. Um, four, four by 100? Four by one. Yeah. I, we won a bronze. That's cool. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then I, and then the next year I, I competed again and then I went to world champs in Doha, um, for the hurdle. Did I hurdle? Yeah, I hurdled. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, and so what, was it a, um, a one-off, the bobsleigh? Or is it still uh, in yeah, the, we're in the still books? <laughs> so that, that brings the question that I asked before we started yeah. recording, which is, I didn't see after the NACA or, or the World Champs, yeah, COVID-ish, yeah. uh, much, or I couldn't read much about you. So like, you, you keep going. Mm -hmm. And yeah, what is, uh, what is the status of Felicia today? Right. Um, I think I just... I think I was taking a break. Well, COVID shut yes. down everybody's whatever. And then just, I think coming out of that, I was kind of like, I'm not sure if I felt the same motivation mm -hmm. that I had. So I was just like exploring other parts of me. Um, but yeah, still interested in competing. So we're just kind of see what that looks like. And competing where? Because which sport? It's not obvious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's what happens when you're a dual sport athlete. Um, I think I'm still figuring that out. Probably. I mean, track is always my love. So I think I just gonna probably start back there. Um, and then, yeah, just see, see where things go. What would be the next, uh, yeah. Next objective or next competition that you, if you were to get back yeah. into it. It's interesting because I think in taking this time off and like discovering like other parts of myself, um, I want to explore sport from a less of a view of like achievement and trying to find these times and kind of like tapping back into like younger Felicia, like having Measuring, fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, I loved running and even like with Bob say like that feeling of like freedom that you can kind of feel like just letting yourself loose. And so I think, you know, when you get super technical and you're super into all these other things, it's like you can lose some aspects of that. And so, I think sports are really cool space for like self-expression and self-discovery. And so in going back, it would really be more so about like finding, finding those things. And even in looking back at my career, those are the things I appreciate the most about it more than like, mm -hmm. you know, the times I ran in the medals and I know everybody else really cares about that stuff, but, um, 
Yeah, I'm just seeing that there's other really cool things you can get, get from Square. Okay, so you didn't seem to be uh, bored, you seem quite busy since you last raced. So I've read that you or didn't find enough, so I want you to dig <laughs> into. Um, I saw you are a dancing uh, dancing person. Okay, yeah. Like carnival. <laughs> yeah. I read that well, I was on, on your website and you write essays and poetry and yeah. you're into graphic design and photography. Also, so that these are mm. like, almost five diff completely different yeah. topics which take a lot of creation creative yeah. um, personality so yeah wh what happened and how did you discover yourself like you uh, like you mentioned yeah so I, th I think i just started finding this like really creative and artistic side of myself which in hindsight and i look back at so much of my career i'm like oh it's always always there i just never paid attention to it uh -huh. so even like my first year um professional in 2011 after university i wasn't with a shoe company at the time but i used to make outfits for myself every race that i had so you know you drew them i would like um get them like sewn up or i would like um go to like a store and get like a, a crop top and get it cut like so i was like designing okay. outfits for myself um and then i signed with nike and then like you know i had like a nike outfit but I, like, looking back at that i was like i what i loved about that year and i had like an amazing year as pb in every every race i ran it was like I got so much joy from like the creation of this like performance that I was going to do, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and then once I started getting into social media, I started exploring photography and like video production. I did like a docu-series, I called it Grit. And it was really just about like exploring the ingredients of Grit um, and what it takes to like be a great athlete. But I wanted to really talk about like the things that people probably wouldn't think about, you know? And the things that people didn't see. Even like you were talking about before, like I, I did one, it was called Patience. And it was like just talking about like you see 12 seconds, but it's really like so much more time that goes into it. Um, so, yeah, I did videos. I write poetry. And yeah. And I, I now, like I said, like I see sport as like it's a creative thing that we do when we're out there. Um, and it's like I can kind of see more of like the beauty that's in it more than just the like very mm -hmm. strict and rigid side of it. And so, yeah. Um, where can we find those videos? I'm just um, YouTube. Okay. YouTube. Just putting um, in your name? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm taking notes. Video yeah, yeah, dash. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so just YouTube. Okay, yeah. Okay, I'll check it out. Uh, I have a, the, the docu series is definitely on there. Um, docu series. Okay, yeah, that's the right word. Docu series. Yeah. So my <laughs> photography, I do need to like figure out where that's gonna live. Um, most of I, I mean, I post on Instagram a lot. I'm pretty um, active on there and i do so now i've kind of changed my instagram into like a lot of my writing is is featured on there as well and i like to write from a very like raw and like very vulnerable space and i think again i use my social media as a way of like showing that like i think a lot of people look at athletes and they love to see our highs mm -hmm. and i like to show that like sometimes it's it's not yeah super awesome but like those are the moments that where you get to really learn who you are and see what you're about and so i like to write about that stuff because i think even like for like younger people looking at me i just want them to not be like oh my gosh like she's a super talented person and like just put me on this really really crazy pedestal and i'm like i've had all these doubts all these fears which you probably have yourself so like it's at the same point like anything i have done you have the ability to do too yeah. so yeah. and i think it's it's what you mentioned is extremely important and that's also what I'm trying to do with the podcast is there's everything we see if mm -hmm. I put your name and you know you spend so much time probably in poetry like I said photography mm -hmm. and all that but if I, if we type your name on Google mm -hmm. there's just pictures of you yeah. you know above a hurdle pretty right. much you know? yeah. um, so it, it's hard to find all that information because yeah. people adore and admire athletes yeah. because they see all their highs but the admiration is probably higher when you know all the lows that the person yeah. is going through. So yeah. yeah, I think it's it's exceptional that you don't focus just on hey, I won mm -hmm. this, I did that, mm -hmm. but you also talk about you know mm -hmm. the behind the scene, what people don't see, the <laughs> non glamorous part, uh, and that I think gives even more credit to the highs that you uh, that you go through. Uh, so yeah, is that for you a way to build a personal brand? what you do with social media and that or is it more to just give back because you know that there's so much that you went through that you want to help younger people with yeah um i've never loved the idea of a brand and i'm <laughs> i've always been told that you gotta create a brand 
But I think because, like you said, like I'm into so many different pursuits and like mm-hmm. i'm the type of person that's always like want very curious like like you are and so it's i'm always kind of like wanting to explore something different so i feel like sometimes a brand like puts me in this like box and i guess in the same way that like you know track bobsleigh like oh let me see what else i can do so i think my social media is more so a form of self-expression and i see that through that um you know if someone else can take something that I've learned and the knowledge that I have, I would, I would love for them to have that. Um, I also think we come to understand ourselves and know ourselves better. Sometimes when we have, we can see somebody else because I think a, a lot of people were like, you know, that's the cool thing about having an idol. It's like, you're looking up to this person, but at the same time, it's like, there's something in you that you see in that person. And so I think I'm, I try to, let myself be seen in that sense so that someone might be able to see whatever aspect of me that's also in them that they can model after and to see like okay that that's that's okay to do or or that's possible um because i there's a lot of people that i looked up to and i if i maybe not didn't have that image it would have been hard for me to see the possibility so to me it's more so like yeah creating letting people see what's possible um and I'm just giving a space to be, I, I'm like so big on like authenticity and just being yourself and being mm-hmm. vulnerable. And so I want people to also feel free to, to be like that as well. Okay. I want to bounce back on this, but I'm going to ask yeah. the person to turn the volume, volume down because <laughs> yeah, it yeah. seems like it went up in it the past minute or so. Um, yeah, so I lost my, uh, my train of thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, you were asking me about my social media. No, 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 no. Oh. I, I wanted to bounce back on something. Oh. Uh, okay. Sorry. Lost my, uh, my train of thought. So what will be success for you in the next two years? doesn't have to be sport. doesn't Ooh. have to be career oriented. What will be success in May, 2025? Oh my gosh. That's such a good question. <laughs> <laughs> And it's interesting because, I'm, again, I'm trying to re- redefine what success means to me right now. Yeah. Um, actively creating on a consistent basis in ways that are fulfilling to me. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like you, you were digging deep into like, oh, that, that, that's, that's the answer. It's yeah. perfect answer. It's yeah. actually perfect. So, well... Um, in the fact, what would it be? Would it be more photography, videography, or all of that combined? Um, I want to, my writing specifically, I think I want to like curate and package and be putting out in a way that I think people could um, access. I've actually had a lot of people ask me if I'm, are you putting out a book or are you writing something? And I'm like, I kind of am. Like, I don't realize what I'm doing, but I think that's what I'm doing. So I think, you know, curating something with my writing and my photography together. Um, and I just think I, I, I usually have like all these like insights and ideas that are always flowing through my mind. And I, again, I think they're helpful to people. So I would love to be putting that stuff out in a, in a, in a logical way, if that makes any sense that people mm-hmm. can like access. Um, yeah. And, 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 doing creative photography um not just uh i think the one thing i love about it is like i have this idea that i like it's in the ether somewhere and then to like pull it down and like make it something is pretty cool um so i just love that process of like there's something in my mind i can't fully see it and it's interesting because it's so different than sport because sport has this very again like very technical very rigid we do this we do this we do this we do this and it's and the creative process in photography feels so much of like I'm figuring it out as I go along mm-hmm. and then I make a mistake and I'm like, Oh my gosh, but that was actually so cool. I'm going to take this and pull this in. Um, just being like a really cool, like flow state. And it's interesting because I think my best, absolute best races on the track were when I was closer to that than the very rigid uh-huh. state that I would be like, you have to do this, you have to do this. Like when I allowed myself to feel that like, I'm just going to kind of figure it out as I go along. Um, and when I was running my best, it was kind of like, even if you hit a hurdle, it was just like, well, that's okay. Like, 
when you let yourself be in that really like everything goes um i was running my best so like i said i think i didn't realize i was super creative um but it's helping me see like kind of probably what my talent was on the track okay. and in bobsleigh too yeah it's so interesting because it's the absolute opposite <laughs> of what you studied which mm -hmm. is medical school yeah. super rigid super in the books yeah and now going into like creative stuff yeah it's you You change along the career. It, yeah. It's a change from zero to it's 180 uh, yeah. degrees. <laughs> I know. <turn. laughs> I know. And it's so funny because I've been telling people like when I it's like I found this part of myself in sport and it's like kind of messed with my mind because I'm like, oh, I thought I was the super sciencey person. And then now I'm like this artistic person. But again, I think once you start finding um, creativity, you start to see it everywhere. Mm -hmm. And what I loved about biology, I think the human body is like one of the most amazing things in the world. It's almost perfect. Like the way things work, I'm like, this is crazy how this happens. And it's like, I started to see the like beauty and artistry that is involved in the human body, how we're crafted together. If you look at what a cell looks like, you're like, this is, like, it's amazing. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. so you can, I think you can find it anywhere. And I think I like to, in my writing, I actually play with duality a lot and paradoxes and i just realized that like the things that we think are opposites and totally different often have more similarities than we realize and if we let them like live together you can get the benefits of each so again if i like starting my track career over i wish i would allow myself to play with both you have to be rigid you have to be disciplined you have to be focused But you have to also allow creativity and artistry and everything that you're doing. And so, like, and that's what I'm trying to do now. Like, play, like, be, like, with my creative process. I have to be open. I have to be free. But I also have to be focused and disciplined and have some structure. And so, like, both things have to live together. And even, like, you know, we think about, like, um, highs and lows. They come together. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? So letting myself have these really great highs. But at the same time... It's like when I was in the trenches and struggling and that's what's probably giving me a lot of the willpower and the like understanding of how strong I am to have the highs. So they can exist together. They can both be there. And I think a lot of the times, especially in our society now, it's like we're so like, I want to be great. And I want to have all these good things. And you so are anti any challenges. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and it, it, it exactly aligns with what you said before about the social media part of it, which yep. is. If you only show the, the highs, it's just fake. Yeah. If you only show the lows, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. why would you do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but you show both and it yeah. works in business. It works in everything. I mean, building a company like yeah. I'm doing when I'm not doing the podcast is you have to, you know, let yourself loose and have mm. crazy ideas. But right. once they start working, you have to make you know, a process out of it because yes. it won't just work out of, you know, just pure sheer luck forever. Right. right. And if you never get organized, you will never get anywhere. But at the same time, if you don't try or if you are too focused or too strict, mm -hmm. you won't make any innovation and all that. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it is so true. And in art and sport and business, probably in personal achievement and all that. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It all started from what success in two years. So yeah. perfect. <laughs> um, If you kind of uh, the same, so you said if you had to go back to the beginning of your sports career, um, yeah. if you had a piece of advice you could give to 10 year old uh, Felicia, what would this piece of advice be? Um, trust yourself. A hundred percent. I think in sport, there's a lot of the times where you think everybody else knows better than you. Like I was saying before, like, And there is part of it where you have to be in collaboration with people and you have to trust your coach. But at some point you have to also realize that like, you know, your body the best. And I genuinely believe everybody has a form of genius within them. And only, you know what that genius is. And if you have to give voice to that genius. And so to me, I started in the later part of my career, um, working with a coach was less about someone telling me what to do and more about being in partnership with a person to have them pull the best out of me as opposed to creating this whole new thing. And so it's like, so you have to start advocating and I, but I know 
I'm great and what I have inside me is great. And so I have to work with someone else to help me figure that out. But you got to trust that that's there. And, <laughs> and, it's, and it's a super hard process just with yourself knowing when to follow what you're being told yeah. and when to do what you feel like you should do. Yeah. And that person to know you well enough to yeah. well push you in a direction, but be fine if you, you know, go outside of the boundaries uh, mm -hmm. from time to time. So it's a healthy relationship with yourself. It's a healthy relationship with other people. And it's, well, it's a lifelong process to, <laughs> yeah, no, to, uh, to find it. I used, I think I used to think about training as like going out and trying to find this thing, like trying to recreate myself in a certain kind of way, or like trying to find something that I didn't have. And I started to switch to thinking of it as like, I have a seed inside of me that I'm watering and I'm trying to cultivate that seed so that it can grow into something. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, that was a stronger mentality to understand that like I have it already. I'm fine tuning what is here and I'm helping it to grow to become better as opposed to like looking for something outside of myself. Because I found when I did that, I started to try to run like other people. I started to try to emulate other people as mm -hmm. opposed to using what I have as my gifts and making those things better. So like focusing on my strengths because that's really where you're going to get the most bang for your buck and then find you fine tuning your weaknesses a little bit, but like really, you know, double down on what you're really great at. So if you, if actually today's Felicia was to meet a 10 year old Felicia, what do you think? Trust yourself. What do you think that would have done differently? How different would have been your career, your journey? Uh, How different if, would it have been? Yeah. I think I would have been injured less, a lot less. Yeah. And I think that was one of the biggest hindrances in my career where it was like again like every time I was kind of like about to take off or I'd have one great season and then I get injured um I think I just wasn't listening to myself well enough I was trying to run like other people too much as opposed to with as within myself and um I so when I was in university my coach told me that I was really soft I was one of like the main things that you're like you're so okay. soft And so then in my, I put this thing in my mind where it's like, well, you got to be aggressive. You got to be, that's what an athlete is like. And I think my softness lends to my creativity and my flow and that rhythm. And I started to move away from that to find this like rigid. <laughs> so I think I would have run faster in a sense because I would have been running more from like within myself. And I think when you are running or operating from that space um that in and of itself helps you to be less injured because you're moving in a more natural way for your body you know okay um so yeah very interesting <laughs> um so you said you you might be writing something you might not you don't know um <laughs> yes assume, there's a book coming <laughs> okay assume well assume you're writing a book and yeah. it's your biography yeah what would the title be oh wow Maybe you already thought of it. You're like, oh, I don't no. know. Actually, you already have it printed out. <laughs> the title? Oh, man. I stole that question from another podcast. The <laughs> first time that I asked it, but because you talk about writing, I'm like, oh, perfect moment yeah. to ask. No, that's too hard. I don't know. <laughs> All right, so there'll be a... You'll have until we, we release the episode <laughs> yeah, and I'll yeah. add that into the notes. So like, that's the book. Yeah. All right. um, <laughs> yeah, I really couldn't think of anything. And I think because I'm a writer, I'm like, oh, I got to make this so good. Um, no, okay, so I'll give you a month. I'll give <laughs> yeah. you a month. Okay, okay. Um, cool. So the last two scripted question. Mm -hmm. uh, one is that if you um, had one Canadian athlete in mind with a story at least as good as yours, which is probably not uh, super easy to <laughs> find. <laughs> Who would that uh, athlete be? Canadian. Canadian. Whatever the sport. Um, I'm going to say Christabel Netty. She's a long jumper for Canada. One of my really good friends. And I think she has a pretty cool story. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> if, you have a, if you can put yeah, a word sure. in. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So, during the podcast, I just unplugged my computer in a pretty harsh way. <laughs> um If um, yeah, so I'm building a wall of fame at yeah. my college up north. It will be some sort of a museum someday mm -hmm. uh, about Canadian athletes. Um, so I'm asking every uh, guest if he has, if he or she has um, gear from his or her career uh, somewhere at home that uh, that person would like to give me. 
Yes. With a small autograph. I like would love to do that. Okay. Yeah. I got I got t-shirts on t-shirts, so I'll definitely send you something. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, where should people for you? You said YouTube, Instagram. It's yeah. your time. Yeah, <laughs> those are kind of the two. YouTube, Instagram. Still working on my website. But yeah, find me on Instagram. Find me on YouTube. Um, and my website will probably be my writing at some point. So okay yeah, it's in now, progress so i saw yeah. there was a couple of placeholders yeah, it's, like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little crazy right now <laughs> okay perfect yeah uh so uh the handles for youtube and instagram just your name oh yeah so yeah at felicia george p-h-y-l-i-c-i-a because i spelled my name a little uniquely um and youtube i mean if you type me in felicia george you'll find it yeah, yeah. okay awesome thank you so much yeah felicia. Thank you. that was awesome yeah um yeah it was so easy <laughs> I barely looked at my computer. Usually I look up for a few questions, but in that case, I just trying to keep it alive because it was just uh, going to sleep. So yeah, that was fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. I hope I'll, uh, I, ho I don't know if I hope I'll see you on TV racing or if I just hope I'll see you doing other stuff, but whatever makes you, uh, makes you happy. Yeah, appreciate you. Thank you. If you're still here, it's probably because you liked the episode, right? So, if you want the podcast to grow and get more exceptional athletes, you can play your part by following us on your favorite podcast platform and on Instagram at unfiltered.athletes. It really helps us. And until next time, enjoy life! <laughs>